Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In the second reading from today's weekend's readings, we have Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the passage for this weekend is probably one of the most powerful Paul has ever written. Now, the letter to the Philippians is a very short letter and compared to the rest of Paul's letters. It's only four chapters long, but despite its size, it's powerful in of itself, and it's very rich in meaning. When we read this letter to the Philippians, or just this passage on this weekend, it becomes very clear to us how much Paul loves this Christian community and its people. Now, it's important to realize this Christian community was actually started by Paul, and it was the very first Christian community in Europe. Now, if you look at the way St. Paul evangelized, it's very methodical. He started in Israel, then it made his way north to Damascus and Lebanon, Syria. And then he covered or cut across all of Asia, establishing Christian communities and evangelizing. Finally, he came to the Aegean Sea. Well, he crossed the Aegean Sea, and the first place that he came to was Philippi, which is in present-day northern Greece, which is the very first place that Paul established as a Christian community in all of Europe. From Philippi, then he established other Christian communities, for example, in Corinth. And so, listen to now how Paul writes to this community that he loves so much, a community that he established. Now, he lived with these people for several years, so he knows them very well. They're like brothers and sisters to him. He tells them, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love. If you read Paul's letters, a common theme that is woven through all of them is unity. Paul constantly stresses that a Christian community must have unity. Because as long as a Christian community is united, it builds strength from that. It draws strength and they become stronger as a spiritual entity. The one thing that Paul detests more than anything in this world? Division. Because he knows a divided community becomes weak and is susceptible to sin. That's why if you read Corinthians, first two chapters, Paul says, let there be no factions amongst you. Well, the Christian community in Corinth was a divided community. There was many people that were very wealthy and many that were very poor. And that difference in socioeconomic status divided the community. And so Paul recognizes and constantly preaches unity. Now he continues, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Now don't make the mistake, Paul is not against diversity. 
He's constantly recognized that within a community, there are many people who have different gifts, different charisms, as he says, skills and abilities, used for the express purpose of strengthening that Christian community. Paul would admit, diversity is valuable only to the measure that it gathers and unites the Christian community. Now, notice what he says, being of the same mind. Well, a Christian community must think always for the common good. Any person within the Christian community can't have their own personal agenda. No, they must all think for the common good, have the same mindset of how can I contribute to the success or the strength of this Christian community or this faith community. That is thinking like Christ. Notice what he also says, thinking one thing. Well, that one thing is the life we share with Christ. So if we are constantly thinking that, then we're always thinking for the common good. Then our actions are the actions of Christ. Our thoughts are the thoughts of Christ. See, John Paul II really picked up on that. John Paul II canonized more saints in his papacy than any other pope in our church history. And whenever he canonized a saint, he would always say, a saint is one who focuses on the one thing. And he picked up on what Paul is getting at in here from the Philippians. The one thing is the life that we share with Christ. See, through that, then we begin to see the world as Christ saw the world. More to it, we see the relationships we have within our faith communities. We see the presence of Christ in those people. And therefore, we're naturally compelled to serve them and the community. See, that's what Paul is talking about here. To share a common mindset, a common outlook towards Christian living. And see, Paul is telling us Christ himself is the great model for us all. Looking at Christ and how he lived his life is a great pattern for us all to model our lives after. And Paul says we can do this. As he says, if humility and service take the place of pride and serving our own self-interest. See, when that happens, then we see Christ in our relationship with one another, in our faith communities. Then we're genuinely committed to Christ. See, then our community grows. It's united and becomes stronger for it. Once again, we have to realize the hidden danger, division. St. John Chrysostom once said, where there's division, there is sin. Well, you see that in our church history. Look at the year 1000, time of the great Western Schism, in which three men claimed to be popes. These three men were serving their own self-interests. And because of that, there were fractions, there were fissures that were created, divisions within our church. 600 years later, you have the Great Reformation, in which there's corruption amongst the clergy in our church. In doing so, Martin Luther leads hundreds of thousands of Catholics away from the church and establishes his own. See, Paul knows that division has a destructive capability to any faith community and to our church. That's why he's constantly promoting unity. Next, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking not, not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Well, that's the heart of discipleship. That really is the best definition of stewardship. And where is it most clearly and best seen? With Jesus Christ. Christ 
always put the needs of others before himself, even to the extent that it led him to the cross. Where else is it clearly seen? Well, in the lives of saints. Just look at our American-born saints, St. Catherine Drexel. She was born in the 18th century in Philadelphia. She received an inheritance of $30 million, and she gave it all away. She established her own religious order to serve the needs of the Native Americans in southwestern United States. She built hospitals and schools for them. Well, look at just Mother Teresa, you know, a modern-day saint that we've seen on TV, heard give lectures. She always put the needs of others before herself. And see, that's what Paul is getting at. I've always said, no one here is in this world by mistake. We all have a definitive purpose. Each and every one of us was loved into being, loved into existence by God. See, when we truly understand that, then we are able to align our will with the will of God. What does that really mean? Well, I often give you that quote from St. Irenaeus. God is glorified when the human being is fully alive. When we are fully alive, then we are being the person God created us to be, rather than the person that our society or culture tells us who we should be. See, when that happens, then we see Christ in other people in our relationships with others, especially in our Christian communities, then we are compelled to serve and act upon it. And see, that's a great segue into the gospel. Here, Jesus is giving us another parable. He says, a man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, yes, sir, but did not go. Which one of the two of these did the father's will? They answered the first. Well, notice first who this parable is directed specifically to. The religious establishment of the time, the Pharisees. Why? Because they were corrupt. They refused to recognize Jesus for who he was. Now, let's break this parable down. The father is God. The sons symbolize us, all of humanity. The vineyard is a place of life. Well, it symbolizes earth and all of creation. Now, the first son that refuses represents all of us as sinners. But Jesus specifically says it represents the tax collectors and the prostitutes because they heard John preach. They repented and changed their lives and they accepted Christ into their life. The second son who says yes and then doesn't go into the vineyard, represents the religious establishment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who proclaim to be holy people, but are real hypocrites. They don't live out their lives in faith. Now realize, the tax collectors and the prostitutes closely worked with the Romans. Tax collectors collected taxes from the Israelites and gave part of it to the Roman soldiers and the others, other part they sent to Caesar in Rome as tribute. The prostitutes spent the majority of their time with Roman soldiers. So these two groups of people were despised. They were considered collaborators with the enemy. And yet, they're looked upon as this first son. Well, so are we. You know, we, through sin, have rejected certain aspects of our faith. But we've heard the word of God. We've accepted Christ into our life. And now, now we go into the vineyard. 
Now we aligned our will according to the will of God. And now we receive or are received into the kingdom of heaven, just like the son was. Now our life is ordered to Christ and we are doing the will of God. The second son essentially is the Pharisees. You know, they give lip service to God. They are considered the religious establishment and priests. They act above other people. But Jesus is telling us they're very disingenuous. And see, that's the moral of the story. The first son hears the word of God, just like we did, repents, and then accepts Christ into our life, and then lives out that faith, just as Paul taught us. And in doing so, our faith communities become stronger for it because we are living out our faith. I'll leave you with just one last thing to think about. Often on Fridays, I go and visit shut-ins, people in nursing homes that can't come to Mass. From time to time, I visit a woman, and her name is Callie, and she suffers from severe Parkinson's, and it's getting worse and worse. Well, we had a good visit, and the one thing that she said to me was, she said, Father, faith needs to be lived out, and if not, it's not worth much. Well, I said to her, you know, Callie, I wish I could put that on a bumper sticker. That's really profound. And she's told me, she said, even in the littlest ways, I try and live out my faith. She says, here I sit in this nursing home, I can't do much, but what I do is I pray for you and for your parishes and the new ministries that you're beginning and for the success of them all. And yet, she told me something was really compelling. She said, you know, there are times where I just can't. I just can't pray because the Parkinson's is so bad, I can't even hold my rosary. Or I become so frustrated and down because of my disease. I just can't pray. And yet, it's still in my heart. Well, I told her, I said, you know, it's times like that where we come and we walk with you. We walk a walk in which you can't walk yourself. We help you to live out your faith, to pray with you and be with you. And that's the life of a faith community. Despite the fact that we may be worshiping here in church and others may be in nursing homes or at home alone, we are still united with each other in prayer, and in service together. And that's what makes a strong faith community. And that, I think, is what Jesus and St. Paul are trying to teach us. Faith is about seeing the presence of God in our life and then acting upon it. Faith needs to be lived out. If not, it's not worth much of anything. And so when we live out our faith, we live it out together. And in doing so, we become a strong faith community. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.